Turn in your Bibles to Luke 18 and turn in them so that you can follow along, not just for the reading, but for the sermon itself. Earlier in Luke's Gospel, we were reminded in chapter 9 that Jesus set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. And of course, Palm Sunday, we celebrate when he actually entered into Jerusalem. Remainder of this week, I'm going to have a couple of brief devotions that I'll make available on a couple of the Messianic Psalms, Psalms that point us to the person and work of Jesus. And then the week of Easter, uh, once a day, I'll have a small devotion made available walking us through the Hallel of Egypt, the praise of Egypt, that is Psalm 113 through 118, Psalms that traditionally were sung during the Passover. And Psalm 118 may be the last hymn Jesus sang after instituting the Lord's Supper. We're told they sang a hymn and went out. And so this week we'll be looking at Psalm 113 through 118 in preparation for celebration on Easter morn. Luke chapter 18 beginning in verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray together. Father, we continue to ask by your word and spirit to protect us from losing heart. Strengthen us by your grace. Continue to provide protection and provision for your people. Watch over us. Keep us in your grace. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. In Jesus' parables of the kingdom, he would sometimes tell parables of comparison. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? And then Jesus would go on and compare the kingdom of God to a farmer planting seeds or to the seed of a mustard tree or to a treasure hidden in a field. He told parables of comparison, saying this is what the kingdom of God is like. But sometimes Jesus also told parables of contrast. This is what the kingdom of God is not like. And this morning we have a parable of contrast, reminding us of what God and the kingdom are not like. Some of you children might remember Sesame Street, and Jesus is actually doing something they would teach on Sesame Street when they would teach about shapes and sizes or colors and numbers. Remember the song, One of These Things. One of these things is not like the others. One of these things just doesn't belong. Can you tell which thing is not 
like the others by the time I finish my song. In this parable of contrast, a parable of a persistent or powerless widow, Jesus, by contrast, is teaching us what the kingdom of God is not like. First, we observe a contrast in Judges. The woman in the story is a widow without family, without government assistance. She's been left on her own to fend for herself. She's among the most vulnerable and easily taken advantage of in Hebrew society. We don't know the specifics of her situation, but this poor woman kept pleading with again and again for justice before the civil magistrates. And look how Jesus describes this judge. He neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And this wasn't just a reputation among disgruntled plaintiffs. This was his own boast, we see in verse 4. I don't fear God or care what people think. Someone has referred to this as the creed of the atheist in power. And so here's this judge with no reverence for God and no regard for people. And this woman is pleading for justice, but the judge refuses. And he continued to do so, not once, but over a time, again and again. For some time, we're told, he refused. The Greek is even more emphatic. He would not. And he persisted in his refusal. So here's a judge who was heartless, He's unjust, he's ungodly, and he is unmoved. Oftentimes, these same people are unmoved by God's law. They see it as arbitrary. Often, they're open to bribes and paybacks. And so here's this woman in a crooked court system who could easily be taken advantage of because she has no resources to herself. This unjust judge may have also issued threats to keep her quiet. But notice, this woman just wouldn't leave it alone. She kept coming to him and kept coming to him and kept pleading for justice, and it began to wear him down. She keeps coming to him and continually bothering and pestering him until finally he gives in. Some of you parents can identify with this tactic. But the judge was more than just being worn down. This is a beat down. The judge says, if I don't grant her what she wants, literally, she will attack me. It's a boxing term. He wasn't afraid she would return with a kitchen spoon. He's describing how he felt emotionally after again and again and again being challenged by her and being met by her complaint. This woman has beat me down with her complaints, and I give up. Now, you must remember, when he gave her what she asked for, he does not care about this woman at all. All he cares about is himself, his peace, and his quiet. Now it's important to remember in this parable that it is a parable of contrast. Jesus, in teaching us about prayer, isn't you need to come cowering before God, the judge, who's very reluctant. No, Jesus is saying this is not what God is like. Do you see this judge? This is precisely what our God is not like. And in doing so, Jesus is presenting us not only with a lesson in contrast, but once again another how much more scenario. 
that we often see in the Gospels. If this godless, uncaring, unjust judge will reluctantly respond to the pleas of this woman, how much more will our good and gracious and caring and just God readily respond to our pleas? Why? Because God is not like this judge. Well, then what is he like? He's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He's righteous. He is just, upholding the cause of the most vulnerable. So the psalmist, for example, reminds us of what our God is like, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is our God in his holy dwelling. And so he commands, do not take advantage of the widows of the fatherless. He instituted laws to provide for them. When you're harvesting in your field and overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so the Lord your God may bless you in all your work. And furthermore, God even warns, cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Do you see this unjust judge? Our God is not like this. Therefore, how much more will he readily respond to our cries for justice? But there's another contrast in this parable that's often overlooked. It's a contrast not only in judges, but a contrast in plaintiffs. Jesus is reminding us that our God is not like this judge, but he's also reminding us that we are not like this widow. Now, in some senses, we are very much like her. We're spiritually vulnerable, easily taken advantage of by our adversary, the devil. We often feel the hardships of living in a broken, fallen, unjust world, and we desperately need an advocate. In many respects, we are much like this widow, but Jesus' point in this parable of contrast is that we are not like her. What do I mean? There is one word in the Greek text that makes all the difference in the world between this widow and between us. It is the word eklektone, elect, chosen ones. Look at verse 7. Jesus says, And will not God give justice to His elect, to His chosen ones? This woman was not a relative of the judge. She had no close relation to Him. She had no advantage before Him. And He cared nothing for her. But this one word tells us this is not who you are. Not before God. This is not your stance before our heavenly judge. You see, if you are in Christ, then you are one of God's chosen ones. His elect, the apple of His eye. You know, for some, the doctrine of election is little more than dry and divisive, an unnecessary point of argument in the body of Christ. It's seen as a theological discussion for the more cerebral types. 
But Jesus did not see it this way. He saw it, this one word, elect, as one of the most personal, pastoral, and practical doctrines in Holy Scripture. You see, if you want confidence in approaching the throne of God, if you want assurance of being heard by the King and Judge of the universe, if you want to know that you have full and free access before Him, then remember who you are. According to Jesus, who are you? A chosen one. One of the elect whom God has placed His sovereign grace and unconditional love upon. Paul wrote of this grace abounding, grace amazing in his introduction to the letter to the Ephesians. For He chose us in Him when? Before the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of His will to the praise of His glorious grace which He's freely given us in the one He loves. In Him, that is Christ, we've also been chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will in order that we might be the first to hope in Christ and we might be for the praise of His glory. Do you know what this means? When Jesus describes us in these terms as a chosen one, the elect, do you know what this means? It means that unlike this widow, you have standing before the judge. Unlike her, you're not some bothersome nag to the Father, but you are the dearly loved bride of Christ. Unlike her, you are not a distant stranger, but a dearly loved child with all the rights and privileges of the sons and daughters of a king. Unlike her, you're not pleading before a mere judge, for the judge through Christ is now your father. Unlike her, an unwanted, estranged, and unloved beggar, you are the apple of God's eye and the delight of His covenant love. The recipient of His grace and mercy and compassion. You are, in Jesus' words, of the elect. Jesus used that word to describe you and it makes all the difference in the world. That one word separates us from mere beggars to children who've been lavished with the love of Christ. Now, lest you take pride in being one of the elect, lest you think it's because of something that you have done to draw God's affection towards you, remember, unlike other views of salvation, would give at least some credit to the sinner. Jesus' doctrine of election grants none. You see, the Bible teaches that at one time we loved, we agaped darkness more than light. We were at one time enemies of God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And even if we could have, we wouldn't have come to Christ. But, Paul continues in Ephesians chapter 2 because of his great love for us god who is rich in mercy made us alive with christ when even when we were dead in transgressions 
To highlight what? It is by grace. It is by grace and grace alone that you have been saved. I've shared with you before, Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, once said, I sure am glad God chose me before I was born because he certainly would not have afterwards. Robert Murray McShane penned these wonderful words to his hymn, Chosen not for good in me, wakened up from wrath to flee, hidden in the Savior's side by the Spirit sanctified. Teach me, Lord, on earth to show by my love how much I owe. Jesus said, if you're presently trusting Him for salvation, you are a chosen one, one of the elect, the apple of God's eye, a deeply and dearly loved child, not some bothersome persistent beggar or stranger. And so here's the second. How much more of this parable? If this unwanted woman is heard, how much more will you, a dearly loved child, be heard? Let's put them both together, the two contrasts and the two how much mores. What is Jesus teaching here? If the ungodly, unjust judge reluctantly responds to this bothersome widow, then how much more will a gracious and good and just God readily respond to His beloved elect? It's because of who God is and because of who you are in Christ that leads us to the application of this text, and that is that as believers, then we can pray persistently in faith with hope-filled hearts to a God we know who hears. Do you remember why Jesus told this parable in contrast? Look back at verse 1. And He told them the parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Jesus is giving His disciples the rationale and the reason as to why we ought to persist in prayer and not give up, not literally faint, not lose heart. Now, why would we be tempted to lose heart? We saw at the conclusion of Luke chapter 17, we live between the now and the not yet. Between the first coming of the Son of Man and His return. We live between this time, between the, the, the cross and the crown. And in that time, there will be much hardship and difficulty and heartache and heartbreak. Remember the conclusion of chapter 17, we're talking about the Son of Man. Well, Jesus is still continuing that teaching. Notice in verse 8, He still has the Son of Man and His coming in view here. And so what is life like between the now and the not yet, between Christ's first arrival and His return? It is difficult. And so in the meantime, we will face hardships and difficulties and injustice. We may be misunderstood and falsely accused at times. We may be mistreated and face injustice as did this widow. 
Others will be persecuted for righteousness' sake and cry out, How long, O Lord? There's a picture of this. This longing, this waiting, this aching in Revelation chapter 6 of the martyred saints who are even right now in this glorious picture in Revelation 6 under the altar crying out to God. We read, When He opened the fifth seal, I saw the altar of the souls of those who had been slain because of the Word of God and the testimony they had maintained. And they called out in loud voice, How long, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until You judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Like this widow, even the martyred saints, the souls of the martyred saints, are crying out to God for justice. There's much difficulty in trials and hardship between the now and the not yet. Our health and wealth is being challenged by COVID-19. And we face these things and we cry out, How long? And it may be a long time coming. We don't know. The coming of the Son of Man still may yet be a long time coming. We don't know. And so it's easy for us to lose heart. To become greatly discouraged by the difficulties and challenges and uncertainties of life. But what is Jesus teaching here? It's that through faith we know something. We know that one day the King and Judge shall come. And notice how Jesus is continuing to incite and encourage this faith-filled prayer to our judge. Notice what he says in verse 6. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Well, what did he say? Jesus is basically saying, you see how this rascal responded? Look at verse 7. If that judge responded this way, And will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off? Will not is the strongest imperative in the Greek language. In other words, Jesus is saying, Will not God most certainly, absolutely, without a doubt, Bring about justice for His chosen ones, for the elect, for His dearly loved children. Now notice what Jesus does. He he moves now from this strong rhetorical question to a most emphatic statement. I tell you, He will. Not just will He, I'm telling you now, He will absolutely do this. While there may be seemingly delay in justice in this life, seemingly unanswered prayers for righteousness to reign, one day, one day there will no longer be any delay whatsoever. You see, God is not indifferent towards injustice. But in the meantime, living between the now and the not yet, Jesus is encouraging and inciting us to pray with fervency, to to pray with persistence, and to not lose heart. For one day the Son of Man will come again. 
But you know, living in this fallen world, we don't just long for justice. There are other things for which we long. Other things for which we ache. Hopes and dreams and aspirations yet unfulfilled. The restoration of broken relationships. The mending of a marriage. Longing for marriage. Help for a disease-stricken body. Wholeness of mind and emotions. Overcoming fears and anxiety of an uncertain future. There are many things that can cause us to lose heart in this fallen world. And Jesus says, don't give up. Persist in prayer. Don't lose heart. Why? Because you know the kind of God that you have. And you know who you are before Him through Christ. In fact, persistent prayer may be one of the greatest indicators of the kind of God we think we really have. He is a God. He is a God who hears. In 1 Samuel, Hannah was heartbroken and disappointed of, over one of her greatest unfulfilled longings in life. You see, Hannah was married, and for years she wanted a child. She wanted to be a mother, but she remained childless for years. She was even taunted. She wept bitterly. She had lost heart, and one day she was weeping and pouring out her heart before the Lord, and the priest Eli saw her. And later he promised her that the Lord had promised a child. And in due time, God did provide a little boy. His name was Samuel, which means God hears. And Hannah's God, the God who heard Hannah, the God who hears, is your God through faith in Jesus Christ. But you know, sometimes the answers don't come quickly as they did for Hannah, at least after, even after a few, few years. Sometimes injustice won't be served now. Sometimes the relationships may not be restored. Sometimes the health and wealth won't return. But one day, the Son of Man will. And on that day, immediately, without delay, all wrongs will be made right and every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. And on that day, while this widow faced an adversary, our greatest adversary will be sentenced and silenced in our presence. There's a wonderful picture of this in 1 John chapter 2. My dear children, if we sin... We have an advocate before the Father. Then NIV translates that. We have one who speaks in our defense before the Father. And so here's the picture. We're standing before the judge and king of the universe. Satan comes, our adversary, Satan, whose very name means accuser. And he charges us with our sins. And Satan is correct. He's right that we are unworthy to stand before that throne. 
and steps in Jesus, our advocate, the one who speaks in our defense. What do you suppose he says? He says this, Father, for this one I lived. For this one I died. For this one I served justice. For this one I was raised. And for this one I continue to intercede. And justice smiles and asks no more. You see, this kind of prayer, persistent prayer, clinging to our only hope in the living God, the God who hears, even when we do not see answers, even in the midst of difficulties. This kind of persistent prayer requires faith, faith in a God who saves the undeserving, faith in a God who hears, even when in this life we may not see the fruition. But it is a faith nevertheless that knows something. Will not, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Will not the king of the earth hear from heaven? Will not he answer his children when distraught? And Jesus says, I tell you, he will. He will, most emphatically. But Jesus also ends with another question. Will he? When the Son of Man comes, verse 8, will he find faith on earth? In essence, he's asking, will we? By his grace and for his glory, will we be among those who pray persistently in faith with a hope-filled heart to the God who hears? My friends, Jesus in this parable of comparison, of contrast, gives us every reason to do so. Remember who God is. Not an unjust judge, but a loving heavenly Father. Remember who you are. Not a mere beggar, but a dearly loved child. The apple of His eye. Here's Jesus' encouragement to us. If an unjust judge heard the plea of this unwanted widow, how much more will a good and gracious judge hear the pleas of his dearly loved children? And so come. Come boldly. Come confidently. Come persistently. Come in faith to the God who hears and who delights to do so on behalf of his chosen ones. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that even now at this moment we are not coming before a harsh, reluctant judge, an unmoved, unjust judge, but we come before God whose heart is tender towards his children whose ear is open towards their pleas, and who is a good and gracious judge and a loving heavenly Father. And so grant us in the midst of difficulties and heartache and heartbreak 
and fear and anxiety of the future enable us to come in faith and reliance, to come boldly, to come persistently, to come in faith. Grant us, we pray, a love and trust for you, Lord Jesus, that will be reflected in that faith-filled prayer and confidence of heart in the God who hears. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.